when I was in Hong Kong, there is actually no way I can learn property. To be honest, you can learn property as a normal buyer, right? Like you buy and you sell because Hong Kong、um, apartment market are quite crazy, like a roller coaster.、Um, but you won't be able to expose yourself as a developer. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum, and in this episode, we're speaking with Ricky Poon, a Melbourne-based developer who has delivered upwards of $140 million in developments in the last eight years. After growing up in the bustling Hong Kong, he now proudly calls Australia home. And shares his plans to extend that feeling of connectedness to incoming students. Poon is one to watch in the property development space with his strong trajectory and innovative approach to each project. My role is really about development management, so、um, I will plan out the、um, strategy for the company. I will、um, be the problem solver when there's anything comes up to me and and no one know know what's the next step should be, and I would be、uh, I make pretty much spend a lot of time on negotiations, in in either on acquisitions on、uh, contract terms or even for bargaining on <laughs> on fee proposal. I always want the best team, but it comes with a big cost, right? So I just hope that I can get a get a really good bargain. That's what I want. He describes his business, BEKL, as a family-owned private office. Although you may not have heard of it until recently, it's far from a new venture for Poon. It has been in in the market for pretty long time, actually. But、um, we have rebranded ourselves from Amazon Property to Backo、uh, for two reasons. One is just、um, want to、um, set the image right because Amazon Property was created by the. Uh, father of our other two directors, and、um, so and back then we are like a, a investor rather than a developer. So about two about three years ago, three years ago we have rebranded ourselves and we have set ourselves to become a developers.、Um, previous development has involved in student accommodations, apartment, etc. All right, and also some office.、Uh, ever changed to ever since we changed to backo, then we have focused a lot more on. Um, creating more income generating assets, so like such as like we still do our student accommodations, but then we do a lot more on hotels or, or similar accommodations or service apartments.、Um, yeah, so that's what our strategy is at, at the moment for the next five years as well. The student accommodation market is BEKL's main focus, even during the COVID nineteen era. It doesn't impact the development part. It actually impacts the existing asset that we have. So definitely, we have heavily hit because of there's literally no overseas student here.、Um, so that really gives us a big、uh, slap on the face. Yeah, but, but in saying that, we're still hopeful and very positive on the student market,、um, mainly because we know that this education market is a big piece for Australia. So unless you're telling me that Australia as a country changing their 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 strategy of not allowing the student, which just Impossible because we got all the good uni good school here.、Uh, we still think that the、um, student market is is gonna is gonna come back and gonna be gonna be like a V shape kind of comeback. So、um, that's why we never stop. So we still have、um, development happening. You know, we still have、uh, we're still trying to acquire more sites and、um, bring in more student accommodation offering to the market. 
Mm. And is that the, also the reason why you've also diversified out to hotels as well? Because you know that the tourism industry will also pick up as well eventually. The tourism market we have been really positive. You know, the COVID actually never um, stopped us at all. So the fact that I think when Victoria gone through the first lockdown, we actually transacted one side for a hotel as well. So, um, so yeah, we didn't stop. So um, yeah, we just keep buying side for hotels. Um, it may change a little bit of the offering. So we may not uh, follow the traditional um, hotel uh, offering to the market. We just blend it in with some mixed use just to diversify the risk. But yeah, we didn't actually stop on our, our acquisition. And did you get better deals then, I guess, during that time? Because the market is kind of uncertainty all that whole time. Everyone asked me the same. Okay, so in short, no, I didn't get a better deal, but I got an easier deal. Because normally, um, we need to fight with a lot of different developers um, you know, for, for a good site. Uh, what we experience is like, um, it become a lot more sensible. So the pricing are, are reasonable. We don't have to keep bidding for a much higher price, but it's still, we're still paying for the market price. So I think at least, at least we don't have to fight too hard. Poon grew up in Causeway Bay in Hong Kong before moving to Singapore and then eventually to Australia. I spent my teenager time in Hong Kong mainly, um, but my family and my grandparents are, came from different places of Asia. So Singapore, Malaysia, Hong Kong, Indonesia, you know, a bit of Thailand. So, um, yeah, so I, I actually did a bit of, I did spend a little, like, uh, about two to three years in Singapore before I came over to Australia. And, th- and then I basically just permanently stay in Australia. I think, to be honest, childhood was, was not that exciting because I actually never had any comparison with the other country and all that, right? So, um, um I think that, but what I do notice is actually very convenient. You know, you you just, you know, get down to your apartment and there's like grocery stores everywhere, shopping centers everywhere. You know, like shopping is mainly your 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 one of your main event all the time. Um, other than that, yeah, to be honest, it's actually Hong Kong is really really small. So other than shopping, it's only shopping. But on the other hand, is I do notice when I was following my parents and all that. You know, that's because it's so small. Um, people were were really have to think really hard to create opportunities or find an opportunity. So um, yeah, that part do inspire me a lot when I grew up. Like because I've been watching how all my uncles and all that, how do they do the business? How they you know um, how do they create opportunity with different people and all that? So um, yeah, that 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 do actually um, affect me quite a lot when I grew up. He explains the typical occupation in Hong Kong. Though, to the casual observer, you wouldn't be able to tell. On the face, you're probably seeing them, they're working for someone, you know, in a corporate environment and all that. But behind the scene, they still create, they try to look for some opportunity to start their own business and all that. So in Hong Kong, um, to have your own business is actually quite common. Poon attended the average Hong Kong City schools throughout his childhood, where he learnt a not-so-average language. I just go to like the normal school in Hong Kong. Um, yeah, because it's just pretty common that what you do. Um, the only reason for anyone would like to go to international school mainly because they actually came from overseas. Yeah, so if your if your parent actually migrated to Hong Kong, then you probably will go to uh, international school, or your parent from day one already prepared to send you out. Yeah, it's only these two scenarios that will happen. Uh, in my case, um, because I already came from a quite a diversified. <laughs> 
background. So um, yeah, my parents just don't think there's a need. In, in fact, she actually sent me to a primary school that uh, that helps me to learn my Mandarin. It's actually actually quite quite uncommon for Hongqi to to speak fluently in Mandarin. That's right, mostly Cantonese. Yeah, I I, I speak fluently, um, but thanks to my parents because they sent me to to the primary school that teach 100% Mandarin. To be honest, it's actually we didn't actually expect that. Uh, just purely because my parents came from Indonesia, um, if I don't speak Mandarin, I won't be able to communicate with my relatives. Poon's parents were in a wide variety of businesses as he grew up, each one being completely different to the next. They're in all sorts of business. Um, they they were in uh, foreign exchange. Um, they were in uh, hydraulic business. And um, at one point, they were in also plastic injections. Wow. <laughs> That's a very, very, very variety business. I'm curious, when did you learn about property development then? Yeah, much, much later. So, um, because like when I was in Hong Kong, there's actually no way I can learn property, to be honest. You can learn property as a normal buyer, right? Like you buy and you sell because Hong Kong um, apartment market are quite crazy, like a roller coaster. Um, but you won't be able to expose yourself as a developer. Only when I came to Australia, working for a few years, and then... Um, and then there's an opportunity for me to um, to start to get into it, and then I learn it. So so actually, a lot of people think that I'm a finance background or property background, but actually I'm not. I'm actually a marketing background. I actually study marketing, um, but I really learn everything from scratch, um, learning from the foreman uh, uh, on the construction side, and then bit by bit learning from different bankers, architects, and then and then this is how I learn property. Coming back. Hoon dives into the time in his life where he decided Australia was the place he wanted to be. I actually left Hong Kong pretty early. So I was I was a student, I studied in Singapore and then I studied in Australia. Um, and then I worked in Australia. So I, I only worked in Hong Kong for a very short period of time after I graduate. You know, that because my parents want me to go back and help the business for a little bit. But I still decided I wanted to um, stay in Australia. So at the end, I quit the job. Quit it from my father and I come back to Australia. I, yeah, I love my party a lot and I still do. <laughs> but, um, but when I was a student, um, when I say I wasn't a very good student, just purely because I um, I do spend a lot of time to create my own business, being being <laughs> born and grew up in Hong Kong. So I actually I came up to Australia, I think, when I was doing my year one in uni, I've started running an internet cafe in Chinatown. Yeah. So um yeah so so that's why I actually have spent way more time in the business than at school. But luckily the the the, the degree I was doing is actually marketing. So the business experience actually helped me a lot because because when you have a real life experience, everything on the textbook becoming sensible, rather than you try to hard swallow whatever your lecturer was trying to teach you, and you really don't know whether it's actually useful. I think that actually um, becoming more meaningful for me is where the IT sector start to boom. It's pretty early. So back then we were talking about 56K modem, 33.6K modem. You do remember it too. I was like, wow. They make so much sense um, because you, you want a speed connection and you're happy to go out and use internet. Yeah, that's how, you, how, how that's where my first business is. Wow, that's amazing. How long were you running that business for? One year, roughly for one year. And then it got evolved actually. So, um, so from there, we becoming a internet service provider because it's the same mechanism. 
So and we realized that okay, the student um, wanted to have the internet connection at home, um, and and back then we were talking about ratio, right? So one modem you you are offering to eleven people. And all that. So when I try to offer it to seven people, suddenly I'm becoming a quality service. I can start to see where the themes are coming from, where the student market came in. <laughs> so that's how it is. Um, so um, and from that, um, and then we further evolved and becoming a multimedia um, company. Though, so then we start to. I think that was my first encounter to property as well, because I think I was I was dealing with some big projects in uh, with the property developers. Um, yeah, so we create website, we create back then the CD room, you know, the multimedia presentations and all that, the bank for them and all that uh, to show that to their investors or, or potential buyers and all that. So, um, yeah, that that is probably my very first encounter on about property market. When he jumped into the student market, he got the property developers on board in an unusual but highly effective way. I was actually a very socialized person. So um, I still remember when I first um, um, trying to introduce myself, what I did is actually, I, 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 as I said, I love party. So I actually create a, a move-in party for myself to, to, to the office building. And I invited every single tenant in the building and come and join the party. So that's my very first business networking event to myself. And from there, um, obviously, the, 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 within the building, I start to get some business. But then at the same time, um, yeah, referral started to come in. So yeah, that's, that's, how, that's how I started to generate more leads. He decided against building a portfolio of properties in favor of what he's doing now. Well, back then, I wasn't really looking at other sectors as yet, um, just purely because I was still too young. I don't understand that. And, and um, if I earn some money, I'd rather spend it all <laughs> than, than actually spend on the property, right? No saving, you know, try to spend as much as possible, drain up, right? That's what I do. So I wasn't actually paying attention to that, but I just I just realized that um, the property investor actually uh, do have big dollar to spend in terms of media stuff. Um, they are definitely not one of my big clients back then. Wow, that's that's interesting because then that's how you obviously go, wow, this would be an industry to potentially tap into. Is that right? Not at that time, to be honest. This actually came from my, my parents. So when when I was still when I was young, still in Hong Kong, you know, um, I was told all the time that you know eventually, if you want to get to the top, um, finance and property sector is where you need to be. But to be honest, finance is quite a big game, and property same thing in Hong Kong. Like it's a it's a very small circle game. You know, like even Hong Kong development is only you know controlled by really less than. 10 to 20 people. So in Hong Kong, it's probably like a dream other than the things that you can really touch. But in Australia, it's actually quite different, right? Because um, the government control a lot um, and therefore you are on a quite, you are actually on a quite fair um, environment to, 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 to choose whether you want to become this or that. Yeah, so that, I mean, I do think that in terms of property, it, had, it gives us a lot more opportunity um, in Australia. The whole process with the internet service provider lasted about three years in the early 2000s. The reason that we stopped is actually the, the IT bubble burst at that time as well. So straight away, uh, it's not about we are we are not actually leveraging from this bubble at all, but it's just that the market suddenly um, heavily impacted by the bubble burst financially and a lot of companies actually cutting down their budget. All right, so normally media exposure and all this kind of budget is the first thing to get affected when you have to cut cost. 
So that that got affected a lot. So so that's how the the business was ended. And, and did you ever choose that you wanted to go out and maybe work for someone to gain experience, or did you keep running businesses alongside? Um, during those period, I never thought of I will work for someone because you can see that when I was studying, I already started my own business. So um, I don't know how to work for someone. Like it's not in my concept. Yeah, in your genes. <laughs> it wasn't. So, um, but um, after I came back, so I, and after that, so when the when the multimedia business finished, I was involved in um, bubble tea business. It was a good business. It was really good because um, that was not popular. Back then, it's actually not popular at all. Uh, it's only one shop in Melbourne and that's it. Yeah. And other places that you can have is actually go to restaurant and have it. Um, so then I go to Taiwan, I go to Singapore, bring the bring the supplies in, you know, bring the education in and start to educate. So the bubble tea business was really good, you know, when I was doing that. But uh, another big lesson to learn that I was trying to walk too quickly. Um, I tried to expand to Sydney. Um, and obviously the business environment is very different from Melbourne. Um, the communication and culture is so different that I don't really get the hang of it. Was is actually I actually eventually I would say I would say that I actually fell on that. Um, it was fruitful. I earned a lot of money um, through that process, but then the business didn't sustain. So um, and and just happened that at the same time, um, my parent asked me to go back to help out because there was another disaster happening in China when they're having a, a trade war. So, so yeah, that's the time when I need to go back as well. So yeah, the business wind up and um, had to go back to Hong Kong and help out. You're definitely a true entrepreneur. You've tried so many different types of businesses, you know, even before you got into property development. So. It's probably because of the marketing background that I have. So marketing can fit in everywhere. So uh, yeah, it doesn't really matter which sector, which industry I'm in. Bubble tea wasn't very popular when Pern tapped into the market. So where did the idea come from? There is a brand called Happy Cup in um, in, in Melbourne, um, and I was talking to them, and they were selling one thousand cup a day. All right, so because they were the, they were the only one, they were so popular. Um, that's how I started to pay attention to this business. I talked to different uh, restaurant owner just to get some understanding on whether this is profitable and all that. Uh, and then, but next thing I realized is actually the the retail lease is actually very very expensive. Uh, to me, I think it's a bit risky if I just jump in like this. So then, but I don't want to give up, you know, on this market. So I just changed my mind and from doing retail business and do a wholesale business. So I become an importer of this business. And then I help others who dare to take the risk to create the business. Following on from that, he went back to Hong Kong with a plan that didn't exactly pan out as expected. I was originally saying that uh, because I don't really want to go back to Hong Kong at all. So I was telling them that I will go back for three months. Uh, and 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 make it happen and, and try to revive the business and then I'll come back. But then I take it too far that the business back to normal and and expand quite a fair bit. Then I end up staying there for three years. I was helping my father and helping my uncle. So my father is actually in plastic injections. Um, so they were they they originally they were doing toy business with uh, US. But then what happened? Then the the order was not there, and then I and then I changed the model, becoming um, disposable um, uh, cutlery and utensils and all that. So I changed it. So basically, it's big change. Um, take me a bit of effort to convince my dad because he think the the um, the cutlery market is so small, uh, and also think that the margin is so small. But I I just convinced him by I can bring you back order that I can assure you you will not have enough machine to handle my order. 
which I did it, luckily. Well, I think we were we had actually one discussion and saying that my father was saying that he wanted me to to explore the rice cooker market. Uh, I don't like it because rice, like how often do you change a rice cooker? All right. But I think cutlery, you use it every day and you dispose it, right? So, and therefore, and therefore, yeah, it's proven that this is a more sustainable business that um, my father should have got in. So, and, and he did. Uh, and then with my uncle is, is basically just helping out on communications just because of me being, um, staying in Australia for quite a while. So it's easier for me to help the company to communicate with European. So because we, we are, we are, uh, my uncle's business actually is a, is a bridge between, um, China and Europe back then. So uh, there are a lot of negotiation that sort of cultural impact doesn't really turn out quite well. Um, yeah, so yeah, I was flying in and out very often on a daily basis. When Pern came back to Australia, he was working for his father and uncle while also creating other businesses as an import and export trader. When I came back to Australia, I still can manage this business for a little bit, but then I wanted to back to like put my feet on the ground again in Australia. And I, I was talking to one of my old clients in um, when I was doing my multimedia business, um, and he's running a, a spare part, like uh, automotive spare part business. So uh, and then and then that is actually literally my very first job that that I actually work under someone. So I worked yeah work for that that friend uh, for quite a long while and um, and for one funny uh, event when I was uh, in at Dan Murphy I was doing some wine tasting as you know I love my wine. I bump into another bump into another person. Um, uh, there's some communication problem between the store manager and this person. And I'm trying to help out because I'm, I'm really, I'm quite a busy body, right? When I see something not right and I think I can help, I'll go in and help. It's purely a language problem back then. So I was just going there to be a translator and get things sorted. Uh, and then I become friend with this person. And this person is uh, a startup developer. So, so yeah, so he got me in and then, and then, yeah, that's how I actually uh, get my first taste of um, property development. Wow. That sometimes pays to be a busy body, doesn't it? <laughs> It is. <laughs> it's sort of unexpected. It's actually quite unexpected. The developer he met was working on luxury home constructions as the owner and there were language issues between him and the builder. Enter Ricky. For me, I have got no knowledge of a property, you know, so that's why when I, when I told you just then, I, um, I have to start off learning everything from scratch um, and, and really go to the construction sites and talk to tradies and talk to the foreman, predominantly the foreman to... to tell me what's going on about this site. And I start to learn all the terms and jargon and, and then understand how they work and understand um, what is good and what is bad. All right, so that's how I started. That's why when, uh, now, I mean, it, it's been many, many years from now already, but um, uh, uh, there, are people, there are a lot of project managers and all that, they feel that, oh, how come I know so much? Right, because I was seen, I was at the very bottom to start off with. So I would say that, yes, it, it it created uh, who I am at the mo- uh, who am I now, um, but it's also quite hard for anyone to 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 copy the same way because it's, it's too long. It takes very long to do that, um, and also you you have to be very patient to talk to different people, especially if you don't know anything. You try to get into like tradies and all that, right? They know that you don't know anything. You know, you, you can imagine the situations. That first development that you mentioned, that luxury house that you're building there, how did that go? 
it turns out well, but it it was a uh, it was also a testing ground for for me on my problem solving skill. Um, there are so many things that was unexpected, um, and and you you can either surrender and just settle it as it is, or you try yourself to fix it up. So we end up um, have to get a lot of different trainees and even different builder uh, for the final stage, because uh, when this project was start off wasn't actually start off correctly, there are things hasn't been managed properly, um, and then when when you close to finish, then you realize all the problem. Yes, then straight away you need to talk to so many people to work out a solutions to fix that because it's too late. You know, you can't, you know, there's many things that you cannot change. So, which means you've got to be very, very smart to make it work again. The problems he faced during the build were certainly unusual, but could happen to anybody. There are a few things that has been heavily impact, uh, impacted. Uh, one is was meant to be a five bedroom and then becoming a four bedroom. Reason being, uh, one of the room was done incorrectly. The wall suddenly exists out of nowhere. There's a wall, there's additional wall that created. So, uh, but luckily that still can be fixed, but we just turned it into a, a rumpus room. Uh, it still makes sense. Um, other stuff would be um, um, some, believe it or not, like the planter box was not done in a proper way and therefore you you can see all the cracks everywhere you know even for a short period of time um and also i mean not only us i think there were many many um developers if you are coming from an asian background you will try to import stuff yourself so those items are either uh didn't comply to the australian standard or just not not functional at all yeah that's something at all um, but there's so many, so many things happened. Um, that <laughs> numerous thing, you know. So, so bit by bit, you have to do a big sacrifice, dispose some of the items, um, but try to find an alternative and fix it. Um, you know. So yeah, it's a long journey on that. I still can't believe how people can get one room missed. I mean, how is it possible? If they had the plan, it was supposed to be a five bedroom house and they turned into a four, or was it the other way around? The plan was not coordinated properly. So there are some changes happen and and um, this is a big lesson to learn for any new developers when they're doing houses. Uh, it's like you can't fully trust your 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 design person. Uh, you need to check it as well because it's not that the, the, the design guy has done anything wrong, but it's just that uh, because if there's no one to do the coordinations and imagine there's structural engineer, there's other stuff that go into a plan, things can somehow miscommunicate it. So that's it. That's exactly what happened. So after that scenario, there's another funny construction and funny um, example that I got is there's a house that we uh, that we designed. There's one of the door actually cannot be open for whatever reason. Um, there's something blocking the door to open. So we need to we need to step up from just for that part so that the door can open again. <laughs> I think I would have just been just looking at this guy and just go, this is just a complete class or clown idea. <laughs> it's like, it sounds like a circus came through the door. <laughs> I was actually laughing when the builder told me that, you know what, um, there's some buildability issue because it's, this door cannot be open. How do you get to the, how do you get to your backyard? He has done six developments and he's always keen to share his experiences. I wouldn't say it's not about the scale, it's actually about the, the technical. You know, there's, there's, there's project that I work that heavily involved the government decisions. Um, you know, so um, that can get quite political. There are a lot of um, different boxes to tick. So it's not simply 
saying that, yep, I'm fully compliant, therefore you get your permit and you can build. All right. So I think it's not about the, 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 the scale of it. You know, to build, to be honest, um, to do a luxury house and to do a high rise, the, the amount of effort is about the same. The amount of time is also about the same. But obviously the money is not the same. <laughs> when you say high rise, how, how many apartments or units have you have you built before in a development? High rise wise, the tallest one that it hasn't been built. It hasn't been built. Um, the highest one was meant to forty meant to be forty level. Um, but yeah, that gets stuck with the government. So um, that is also a long negotiation process. Yeah, roughly. How long does it usually take for something like this to go on as well? Too normally in ideal world, you get you will expect your permit can be up in a one year or max one and a half years. But with this particular scenario, um, it has been running for five years. It's not taking off. Five years is a long time to wait for a permit. He explains the factors that have been keeping it tied up. There are some government policies. Um, it has been changing a, a little bit. Um, it's in a hot discussion all the time. But it's not uncommon because I think Melbourne has been developed so rapidly. Um, there are a lot of the old rules and laws may not apply now, right? And and if you look at Hong Kong for, 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 for example, you know, like if you don't really amend your law to, to suit, you end up creating uh, a big screen, a building screen, you know, blocking all the the light, the wind, and everything. Uh, I can see where the government, I mean, is coming from. I don't, I know why is why they're doing this, but at the same time, I mean, as a developer, then obviously we get impacted in that way. This is just an apartment. Yeah, not not a not a not a hotel site. So the hotel site uh, is is hotel site is probably come quite late in my journey so far. So because hotel was not popular in Melbourne, um, but the reason I got into hotel is um, when I was trying to make a site more um, profitable, I was looking at different type of asset class. And I realized that hotel is something that we, you can do and not many people doing it back then. Um, that, that's how I got into it. And I just and as soon as I got into it, it just opened up a new world. Traditionally, most developers, when they got into development, we were talking about build to sell. All right, so you build an apartment, you sell. So meaning, if you want to make a big profit, the easiest way is to sell high and build low. All right, so that's that's why you do hear a lot of story that people were just complaining about developers are not having heart and all that, right? <laughs> Which I don't understand why. Um, but in hotel, it's, it's different because hotel is a development that a developer have to hold. So you're holding the you're holding the whole development, which means you don't actually comp- you cannot really compromise on your quality. All right. Because you will backfire yourself, but at the same time, hotel itself is a business. So as soon as it becoming a business, then the formula will change. It's not about how much you sell for; it's about how much income is it generating, and therefore, um, it will increase its valuation because of its profit profitability. So therefore, I guess when you're dealing the hotel model, you've got to be able to ensure that there's strong serviceability through the income that you receive from the tenants. I guess you can say coming in to, to stay at the hotel. And, and if we're valuing it, say, on a commercial loan, I guess you can say, is that sort of looking at the income and ensuring that the income values up the, the value of the property? Because in a commercial, they usually look at the income that helps determine the valuation of the property. That's right. That's right. So in hotel, you would be, I mean, of course, as usual, you watch your costs, your bill costs. But then at the same time, you need to understand that if you cut your cost too much, how does it make sense in terms of logistic and all that for the business to be running uh, efficiently, 
because that that translates to your profit, right? Um, and 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 also it's about the durability. You don't want to keep paying for maintenance costs and all that, right? So so you see, see it's suddenly becoming a very complicated formula. But but of course, because it's a prop, it's an asset with uh, income generating uh, capability. Then you can expect the profit is actually much higher than when than you do a um, typical apartment. I I actually more than happy to stay as a developer than the operator. <laughs> so um, yeah, I always I'm actually always um, invite the um, the global or national brand come in and work with us. So um, so in this case here we have a site in South Melbourne. We invited uh, Intercontinental to come in. Reason being that they are the top five brand, and if not probably the top two brand in the world, um, they know what they're doing. You know, they they understand, um, um, you know how to how to tackle the market well. Um, yeah, so that's the reason that we want them to be here. Poon's development journey has been a long and fascinating one. What would he say was the pivotal moment where he realized this is what he wanted to do? I think the, the aha moment is actually, uh, which we just touched on, is actually the hotel. Because I the questions to me was like, I'm not satisfied with the current um, current profit. What can I do to make it better? All right. So when I was, so there's no, there's, there's basically no point for you to keep driving up on the sale price. All right. I've been, I've been told to drive up the prices so that hopefully if I get lucky, then I will sell well and therefore achieve the profit. But it's too much of the risk. And but as soon as I start to look into the hotel, and then yes, it has a bigger equity exposure, it has a it has a, a longer duration for your money to come back, but the profit is actually much higher. Um, but as soon as I see that, it was like, oh, like you you found your gold mine, you know, like. But then when you shift, as you said, your your like a strategy to something that's very unique, like hotel building or student accommodation building, that becomes you know your market, and you can start to dominate that. So is that sort of the kind of strategy that you've been thinking about going down the path now? The things is also quite beneficial to us as a developer. Is you, you can see that pre-sales has been a big topic all the time. If you don't get enough pre-sales, you don't get your financiers to support you and all that, right? But if you have a good operators in either student accommodations or or, or hotel uh, operator. Um, it straight away, it met it met that 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 criteria, you know. So you take a lot of your your pressure away uh, on pre sales. So I mean, I'm just using this software for example. So we are doing this mixed use of um, the development, and and this development because it has a big component of hotel. I can then comfortably telling my agent saying that I will definitely start my construction on time because I've got no pre sales pressure at all. So yeah, that makes a big difference, which means my apartment can can afford to sell at the right timing. My apartment can actually sell at the right specification that I want, without without being affected by other 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 factors. He focuses on what's called PBSA in the student market, which stands for Purpose Built Student Accommodation, something he wishes had been available when he was a student. So compared to my time when I was a student. It wasn't exist, all right. So it was like you can either share a flat or, or apartment with your friend, or you go and stay in a homestay. But now PBSA is literally a hotel offering to a student. You can put it that way. Of course, you don't 
you don't really you don't really have that kind of room service and da 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 right not not too much but but student PBSA is really offering something that you know a student can go in and without a lot of so they can really focus on their study and their social you know um if they want to that's important um so yeah that's what a traditional PBSA would offer but what make our offering a little bit different as well is we also care about how they can as an overseas student, how can they how they can actually connect it to the local and becoming hundred percent Australian? All right, so we will help them on um, on how they how they should um, make friends with others, how they should um, uh, get their build their connection in the business before they graduate. You know how they write their CV. You know we offer a lot of that. You know just to help the student. Yeah, because otherwise, I mean, as a student, you can't just study. You know, when I was saying all my friends when they're still studying, I'm just saying that, you know, before you graduate, go and look for a job. All right. Build your experience first. Otherwise, once you graduate as a fresh grad, how are you going to compete with other people with experience? Right. So that is something they need to do. All right. So this is something that I have been advising my friend. And this kind of opinion is also quite important to offer to our students in our accommodations that for them to aware on this and, and we help them. All right. Because otherwise, some people are too shy. You know, or maybe they don't have their network to connect to the right people. That's why we have it. We'll help you out. You know, so that's that's what we're offering. While some universities offer their own on-campus accommodation, Poon has a plan to work with them rather than compete against them. All our location will be will be really like a few minutes walk from the uni. All right. So um, so that's number one. And that, but some, but that's why we will definitely talk a lot with the uh, with the university. So um, to see what sort of help we can provide, or on the other on the on the other way, we can ask them, can you can I invite your lecturer or tutor come to our building? You know, just get to know my student, you know, because my student is your student too, all right? Because we dedicated to your uni only. I think number one is um, the student influx of Australia is is huge, so there's no way for a uni to actually handle all the student needs, all right? So there is so much more in the market that is, I mean, so much more student in the market while trying to look for good accommodations. All right. So, so I mean, that is the nature of it. Um, and also the, the offering is quite different. So the, those ones who live, who live on campus are uh, really focusing on their study alone. But then those ones who live off campus, they may be treasure about uh, lifestyle and, on, and freedom and all that, right? Um, and where we are, we, we sort of stand in between. Right. We are not far away from the uni. In fact, we are really, really close, but we are not in uni. All right. Plus the offering that we are trying to give, you know, that, that kind of community experience and all that. So um, that gives ourselves a different space to, to work on. Because you're building student accommodation, do you retain that within your development business or do you actually sell it out to potential landlords who want to actually achieve rental returns from this? How does that model work? We maintain it. So, so far, Echo um, will will hold on to all the assets that we created. Um, um, the only reason that we need to uh, sell uh, sell the asset is because of the ex- equity exposure. But we are very reluctant to do it. And therefore, you can see a lot of the development that upcoming are all mixed use. So we will sell down part of the building, but not the whole building. But then on the other hand, it gives us a good uh, reason to make sure that whatever part we are selling is doing good quality because it's from part of the building. So what, what I've been telling um, either investors or buyers is like, you know what, we are not selling you anything and then we walk away, we are your neighbor. We will always be your neighbor. 
His method is to look at things backwards so he can figure out potential profits before starting so he can help his family in a less traditional way. I would look at the outcome and whether this outcome is what I want first and then I try to bring it backward and look at where my starting point should be. So that is actually the why. So for example, if I want to do a hotel, number one is I want to look at is whether Australia has a market for hotel. All right. How much build cost I need to to, to spend to, to build that quality there to, to achieve that. And then I start to plug in all the numbers and all the know-how. Probably predominantly for my family, I'm not, uh, I, I wish I can get to a point where I got that big heart to dedicate it to the community, but I'm not there yet. So, <laughs> I still do a little bit as much as I can, but I think really I'm focusing more on my family. Um, so, you know, it, People have been, I mean, mo- a lot of people from different sectors or industry will try to say that I'll try to work hard and then I can either pay a deposit for my kid or or simply I give a house to my kid so that they can have a much better life when they grow up. Uh, I was at that point before, but then as soon as I um, get into property longer and longer, uh, I do realize that um, I'd rather give an income generating asset to my kid rather than a house. Because imagine that if I give them a house and if they're not earning well, they still have to pay for the maintenance, the house get run down, you know, how, how are you going to, how can you going to survive, right? It's even worse. At the end, you sell the house. So uh, what I believe now is I'll give them an income generating asset, um, um, will be managed by someone that understands what they're doing, you know, and, and this, this is their protection. This is what I'm trying to pass out. He doesn't have one particular mentor or type of person he turns to for advice but rather an assortment of people he learns from. I learned it from multiple person. Like it's a lot of person. So when I was when I was starting up, I told you I'm learning from the foreman and all that. And then after that, I learned from architects, understanding why they're doing it. And then I learned from bankers, understanding how the finance works. And after that, you would then realize that the valuation is important because that's what the banker needs. You learn from the valuer, you understand. So uh, instead of, I know that a lot of people would just simply outsource the thing to uh, all these consultant, let them do the do whatever they need to do and come back to you. And then if you don't have me, you just tell them what to do, right? Uh, but I'm actually I'm actually the type of person that will try to understand why they give you that piece of paper. So I do learn every single bit. So I will be able to understand how this valuation was created. I will understand why this lending was given that way, you know, so all these people are actually my mentor and that's why it allows me to, to work backward. Because if you don't understand all this, you, that's, it's just impossible. Impossible for you to actually work things backward. As a social being, Poon prefers people to books but keeps up to date with news mixed with opinions. Actually, I don't read books anymore um, because I, seriously, I um, um, actually don't have enough time to do it. Uh, most of the time, if I even I go to before I go to bed, I will actually either check my email or, or, or just return all the messages. But but what did what I enjoy and what I do highly recommend to anyone to do it is to to network with the right people. You know, so I I I I actually learn a lot from I still learning a lot from different people at different time. All right, um, so so I hang out a lot with different developers or consultants, you know, to get my understanding on the industry, to get my understanding on their view, you know, as a financier or as a developer or whatever about the market. So that's why even though I don't read anything, my news is actually pretty updated. 
Uh, plus, they have their opinion, which you don't read from the books. Yeah. So um, yeah. So I rather spend a lot more time to communicate. So that's why lockdown is a problem to me because I can't. Uh, but yeah, as soon as lifted, I go out every day, every night, you know, just making sure that I meet enough people, I understand a lot. And sometimes opportunity also come in, in that discussions. Um, yeah, so that that actually has been, you know, serving me quite well. All right. Well, if you say you met yourself, say, 10 years ago, um, 10 years ago with Ricky Pern, what would you have said to him? I would have said that, okay, number one, take it slowly. Don't don't try don't think that you are a genius. <laughs> you're not a genius. You're just like everyone. Um, and and but do more networking. You know, talk to more people. Don't just um, try to work within yourself. Um, try to try to listen to different people and understand why they're doing it. I still remember when I was young. I because um, there was some there was, there was a period of time that I think the money was quite easy to earn. Um, I don't really listen to many people. So I think that was quite wrong. Um, I won't do that anymore. So I think that is something that I would I would actually tell my oh my younger, the younger Ricky. As for the future, Ricky, he's looking to COVID-proof the world. I, I didn't actually know where I am, you know, uh, back then, like where I was trying to do. But now that I'm a property developer for quite a bit, and I still enjoy being a developer. So I think in five years time, I'll be I'll I'll still be a developer. But I also can see that um, I. Um, what I'm good at is to create a new opportunities within the property sector. So I, I will be seeing that, I mean, in five years, I mean, in five years time, I, I'll be a developer of some other stuff. You know, like I, I, now I'm telling you student accommodation and, 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 and hotel. Next thing, for example, we are looking at build to rent at the moment. So I think in the next two to three years, you will see us in build to rent sector. Uh, but in five years time, what else will come up? I don't know yet, right? but there's, Every day I'll be trying to look for some something. For example, like now it's COVID. Is there, is there anything that is COVID proof that I don't get impacted? Imagine that now if I got all this hotel opening at the same time and then COVID come and hit all my hotel, you know, then my income will stop. So what is the most property that I should be investing and not affected? You know, this is something that I'm actually constantly asking myself. So last question to you, Ricky, is that You've done so much and you've achieved so much in your development journey and you're always growing and, and achieving uh, furthermore down the track. How much of it ha- of your success has been due to your skill, intelligence and hard work and how much of it has been due to your luck? I have to say that the luck is only a very minor bit. Like I would say that probably 5 to 10% is luck. Um, but yeah, especially in property. I think luck, you, you just no way you can rely on luck because as soon as you buy a, a site wrong, you will almost finish. <laughs> All right, it will take you 1000% to fix it when you bought a wrong site. All right, so you cannot rely on luck. I mean, you rely on luck, you bought a good site, but if you still don't know what you should develop, you you earn less or, you, or maybe you actually don't earn anything at all, which, which is quite common in property developer. So, um, yes, I would say that the skill is extremely important than luck. Thank you to Ricky Pern, our guest on this episode of Property Investory.